Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Bench with the head coach, Craig Berube. I'm John Kelly. Tonight's show brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Visit a showroom in Crestwood, Manchester, or St. Peter's or online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Of course, the Blues are off tonight, getting set to host the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow night. An early start tomorrow, by the way. Puck drop is just after 6 o'clock. The Blues, of course, sitting in first place in the West with a record of 18-6-6. Six six. They have 42 points, four points ahead of second place, Colorado. Last week, the Blues go 3-1, and one, a victory in Dallas. They beat Pittsburgh at home, big win in Chicago, and of course, the last game, a 3-0 loss Wednesday in Pittsburgh. And coach, a 3-1 and one week, I would assume, is uh, pretty good from your perspective. Yeah, it was really good. I thought that uh, being the schedule and how hard it's been on the road so much. Our guys have done a real good job. We didn't play very well in the Pittsburgh game. I think that uh, mentally we were pretty drained. Uh, that's what I felt, um, you know, in the first period. And, you know, normally we react pretty well, but we couldn't really get going in that game. So it's a, it's a mental thing. Yeah, it was your club's sixth game in 10 days, as you know. At this time of year, and obviously it's still relatively early in the schedule, but considering your short summer, were you more concerned about the team getting a bit physically or mentally tired after a, a grueling stretch? Well, mental more than anything. I think especially uh, being on the road as much as we have, that's hard. Um, you know, guys, you know, families and things like that, they're away a lot and it's mentally gets draining. Um, but I think physically we're fine. Coach, uh, obviously knowing what you know about the short summer and, and what you guys went through last spring, have you made a concerted effort to have perhaps fewer practices or when you do have shorter practices and maybe less work? Yeah, short for sure. Uh, we don't stay out all too long. We try to get uh, in what we need to work on, uh, you know, one thing, major thing that we think we need work on. Um, but short, we try to keep them short for sure so the energy level's high. And then uh, we've done a better our job of um, you know managing day of the game skates not skating a lot uh, if we do skate it's because we didn't skate the day before coach uh, looking back at last week you guys obviously very impressive but you know from my perspective you're beating teams that play different styles Dallas is a, a really good balance club that plays good defensive hockey Pittsburgh more of a wide open hockey club even though Crosby is out does that say a lot about your team that that you can succeed playing teams that have different styles and you can win anyway well it does I think I don't think we change our style too much we understand what the other team's going to do and how they want to play um, and and there's there's real there's a lot of games where you got to be patient and you got to you know wait for your opportunities because you know it's going to be a tight game so don't force things and then you know you play a team like Pittsburgh I thought we did a great job here at home playing them and capitalized on our opportunities and um, in Pitt you know they capitalized on a couple and we didn't that's what it boils down to we had good chances but uh, their goalie made saves and I'll give him credit he played well Craig Ruby let's go back to last week last Friday a week ago tonight in Dallas a very impressive. 3-1 victory. Pareko, O'Reilly, and Barbashev with the goals. You outshot Dallas 40-32. to What did you like in particular, aside from the victory, of course, about that game? Well, we, I thought that we had the puck a lot in that game. Like, we kept the puck a lot. We did a real good job with it, uh, not turning it over. We talked about that turning pucks over, um, not only in the neutral zone, but in the offensive zone that fuels their attack. They love to go the other way quick, and they have some guys that can skate. So I thought we did a good job of really, 
you know, staying on that team in the offensive zone, holding on to pucks, um, you know, good line changes, frustrated them uh, in, in many ways. It was a tight game, and of course, it was one nothing in the third. Ropey Hintz tied the game, but Ryan O'Reilly got the winner 18 seconds after Hintz had tied it. So you got to like that response, Coach. Yeah, I did. Uh, they come out of the penalty box there. We didn't make a very smart play with a, knowing a guy's coming to the penalty box. It got blocked, and they go down on a you know partial two on one and score. He made a great play. Hence, you know he's he's got a lot of speed. But um, you know our reaction right away was really good. We went down and attacked right away, and and Barbashev made a great play to O'Reilly. In addition, in that game, Nathan Walker, who was recently called up, got a goal, but it was called back. Um, since then, he's scored a goal and added an assist. What have you? liked about his game so far? Yeah, it's an energy guy. He gets in there on the forecheck. He's got great speed and when he's doing things like that and he's getting on top of people, he he forces turnovers for our other guys and they can get the puck and do something with it. So this is an energy guy that has some skill. All right, after Friday's game in Dallas, the Blues come home for one against Pittsburgh, a 5-2 victory. Justin Falk got his first goal as a Blue. Other goals, again, from Walker, Barbashev, McEachern, and Jaden Schwartz. Speaking of Justin Falk, um, I, I know that he had, of course, wanted to score more than one goal, but how has he fit in so far in the first couple of months? Yeah, I think he's been fine. You know, it takes a while for a new player that's been in one team his whole career and coming to a new team. There's a lot of changes. Um, you know, you go through a lot not only on the ice but off the ice you know the adjustment of moving and you know getting your family here and thing and getting used to the place so he's been fine he's done a lot of things that probably go unnoticed by a lot of people um, he makes a lot of little plays with the hockey puck he makes good, real good plays he skates really well he breaks a lot of pucks out for us out of our end logs minutes he does a lot of good stuff it doesn't always show up in a score sheet but you know he's an effective player coach you've had him on the left a bit, but mainly on the right. Uh, you know, down the road, do you, do you have a, a set pairing in, in mind for him, or is it sort of flexible? It's going to be flexible here with, uh, you know, We've been rotating Gunnarsson and uh, Bortuzzo a lot in the lineup. <clears throat> so, you know, it depends. They're both, one's a lefty, one's a righty, so we've got to move them around. And our guys are fine with it. They've been good so far, and they've adjusted well with it. Coach, in that Pittsburgh game, you held uh, the high-scoring Penguins to 31 shots the night before Dallas 32. And I know we talked last week about the shots against being a little bit higher, close to 40 on average against. You had to like uh, those totals on the last weekend. Definitely. It's better. Uh, we still can get in the 20s. It's just we giving up. We're still giving up too many free shots. You know we can do a better job of not giving up the free shots. There's no need for it. We can close plays out quicker um, and and do a better job there. And I'd like to see that number come down to the 20s. Is that more about structure or is it more about effort? Uh, probably both. I'd say both. I mean, there's some structure to it uh, in times. Uh, I think at times we're letting uh, too many guys get second and third opportunities around our net that we don't need to. We can control that by just being harder at our net and boxing guys out better. But also, we're letting you know teams maybe gain our blue line a little bit too much where we could close it out before that. Craig Ruby, after Saturday's victory, the Blues back on the road for two. Monday in Chicago, a 4-0 victory. McEachern, Schwartz, Shen, and Bozak with the goals. Outshot 38-30. But Jake Allen, another great performance. Uh, not to say that we're all surprised because he's a very gifted goaltender, but 
Can you remember going back a few years, better goaltending that you've had from both guys? No, not really. It's been outstanding, and uh, it's and it needs to continue. It's uh, this league is, uh, you know, it's a tough league, as you know. Um, but you know, you look at around the standings, how tight it is. You know, it doesn't matter. You got to keep winning, and uh, we're going to need both goalies to play well. There's the schedule and the, how many games there is, and uh, we're very fortunate to have the two guys we have. Coach, what does it say about Jake Allen and his character? Because a year ago, he was the number one guy, as we know, until Bennington came up here in January, and now he is the backup. And he still plays well. He has a great attitude. Uh, you just got to like everything that he brings to the table. Oh, I do for sure. We all do. Uh, great teammate, uh, great team guy. You know, he puts the team first, and that's that's the key. And he works extremely hard at his uh, game. He's one of the hardest working guys in our team for sure. So it's it's awesome to have a guy like that uh, in our organization and playing for us. Coach, uh, getting back to the Blackhawks game, obviously they have struggled a bit this year. They had some injuries. Uh, was a key perhaps going into the game not taking them lightly? Well, yeah, you can't take any team lately. It doesn't matter uh, injuries. You look at lineups, there's injuries all over the league, and but the teams are still good. I mean, they're all well coached and structured, and their teams are going to play hard. So there's no team you can take lightly. If you do, you're probably going to lose the game. Did it feel like a rivalry game? Of course, these teams go back to the first years of expansion. Well, not like it used to, I don't think. I don't think it's quite there yet. I'm not saying it can't get there again, but uh, I think their Blackhawks are, you know, trying to find their way a little bit right now. Uh, it's kind of a different uh, era for them um, with Quinville gone and a new coach and new players and a different style almost now than they had before. So I think they're still trying to, you know, find their way. And, and um, you know, it's a process. It takes time. Coach, you mentioned the Pittsburgh loss, 3 uh, nothing setback Wednesday in the Steel City. You know, I felt it was, you know, it was one nothing after one, and you guys had a pretty good push in the second, but that late goal in the second seemed to really energize them and it was a tough goal for your, from your club's perspective. Well, definitely, it, you know, really set us back for sure. Um, you know, and that, like, you know, our team usually responds pretty well uh, to that, but, uh, you know, in the third period, we gave up another one there and then, you know, it was tough sliding. Like, you know, we get that one back, it was disallowed, so that kind of ended it. Well, it was pretty good run, though, on the road, wasn't it? 8-0-2 between regulation road loss in Boston, October 26th, and then the other night. I mean, you'll take an 8-0-2 road run anytime. Oh, definitely. That's, an, that's a fabulous uh, record. Uh, the guys did a great job, I thought. Um, you know, they, they, they really, you know, going on the road and doing what they did is, uh, you know, it's pretty remarkable, to be honest with you. No question about it. All right, Craig Burby, a couple of uh, items I wanted to ask you about here before we talk about the game tomorrow night against Toronto. You know, walking into the practice rink this morning here at Centene, looking on the ice, Steen is out there, Sunquist, Sammy Blay. Obviously, Blay is a ways away, but any update on Steen and Sunquist and how, how close they could be? Yeah, I think they're getting close. They're doing well. Uh, they're both skating now, and uh, so it's just a matter of uh, a pain threshold that they, you know, got to push through and, um, you know, I don't have a timetable for him yet, but it's uh, a lot sooner than later. Coach, obviously the Blues at home now for five of the next six games and then a very heavy road schedule around the holidays. I would have, I would think, and as you said, you got to get points, you got to just get in the playoffs, you know, long term. I would think this is a pretty big stretch for your team with five of six at home. 
Oh, definitely. You know, we're going to have to really dial it in here and play really good hockey. Um, you know, there are good teams coming in here. And, um, you know, this time of year, you can, you got to, you got to talk to your team about not getting complacent. The holidays and things like that, other things are popping up in their heads. Um, and, and it, you know, that's important stuff off the ice, uh, family and, and holidays. But, you know, we got to make sure they're dialed in and ready to go. And around the holidays, as I said, you guys are on the road, you know, as a, former player is it easier to concentrate um obviously you want to be home for the holidays but when you're away during that time to get you know the distractions out of your head well it definitely can help for sure because you know you don't have you know people coming into town and family and you know all this stuff going on and kids and it you know it, it can be it can be distracting to you so you know it's important that you you know you got to be a good pro and you got to do what's right for yourself and the team coach i have to congratulate you last night at the MAC at the Jack Buck Awards Ceremony, you were given the Sports Personality of the Year Award in a wonderful ceremony. Uh, Bob Plager got the Legends Award, uh, so the Blues were very well, represent, well represented. But uh, first of all, congratulations. What did that award mean to you? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, congrats to Bobby Plager. Well-deserved award that he got for sure. He is a legend around here. Um, great guy and uh, was a great Blues player for a long time. And, uh, you know, just him still being part of the Blues organization is fantastic. Uh, the award means a lot to me for sure sure when I look at all the great names that have won that award I mean it's unbelievable and they showed the video and all the past award winners Bob Gibson and these guys like Tony La Russa and things like that and for me you know to be able to you know I don't even put myself in that category but to get an award that they won it's uh, pretty special to me. Well you did a heck of a job last year and, and certainly well deserving. Coach finally the Toronto Maple Leafs come to town right now they are at 500 at 13 13 and 4. You beat them in Toronto back in early October 3 to 2. I know of late Mitch Marner one of their star wingers was out. He is back after missing 11 games and you know you look at Marner and Tavares and Austin Matthews uh, obviously it's a dangerous team coming in here more night. Oh definitely you can't you know they're their record's not where they want it to be, but <clears throat> they got a lot going on with the coaching change and all that. So, uh, but you got to be on your toes. They got some high-end players that uh, can score goals. So we got to do a great job of managing the puck and and doing and checking. You got to be tight in these guys. You can't give them time and space. So we're going to have to play really well. Yeah, you mentioned the coaching change a few weeks ago. Mike Babcock relieved of his duties, and Sheldon Keefe takes over. Uh, in looking at you know the film and the tape. Have they made any radical adjustments to what they do as far as what they used to do with Babcock? Yeah, there's some different things for sure. Um, you know, I haven't watched a ton yet, but <clears throat> they, they have changed. Uh, Sheldon Keith's going to bring in his own system, and he's uh, slowly implementing it. It takes time, but they have made some changes to how they're going to play. Um, I think Sheldon Keith's going to really possess the puck. He's a puck possession guy, wants to keep it, wants to control the play with the puck. Um, you know, so that's, that's a big part of his thing. He's an offensive coach. Good luck tomorrow night, Coach. Thank you very much, J.K. Okay, that's the head coach, Craig Berube, coming up next on Behind the Bench here on 101 ESPN. We'll talk to longtime broadcaster Eddie Olchuk, of course, a former player and coach in the NHL, and he has a new book out. We'll learn about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. And welcome back to Behind the Bench. I'm John Kelly here on 101 ESPN, and pleased to be joined by longtime NHLer, of course, a player, 
a coach and now a broadcaster. Eddie Olchek for the Chicago Blackhawks and also the lead analyst on NBC and NBC Sports Network. And Eddie has just come out with a book. It's called Beating the Odds in Hockey and in Life. Of course, Eddie went through a cancer battle and is now cancer-free. And uh, Eddie, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, first of all, what was the impetus for you to write this book? Well, John, it's always great to be with you and always great to see uh, Panger and uh, always good to see the Blues. I'll, I'll get to see a lot of you guys here yeah. in the next couple of days. I'll be in the Berg in Pittsburgh on Wednesday when the Blues are in Pittsburgh. But, you know, I, I've had the opportunity over the years to write a book, but I always kind of got cold feet. And I was thinking, like, you know, who wants to hear about you know my life story and some hockey stories and some horse racing stories but you know my journeys throughout of you know playing for team usa in the olympics in 84 as a 17 year old or you know playing as long as i did in the league in the nhl for 16 years and no pun intended but i think the final chapter in the decision for me to write the book is when i got diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in august of 2017 and i just thought that there was a purpose there to really kind of tie in my life's journey of whether I was, you know, harassed or bullied as a young kid growing up in Chicago or people telling me I would never make it to the NHL or actually having one coach say uh, publicly that, you know, I'll have a pretty good career in the NHL unless I eat my way out of the NHL. Well, first off, what's wrong with a hungry hockey player? Right. And uh, But, you know, you say that now today, I mean, you'd probably lose your job if you, you know, made some fun of somebody if they were, you know, carrying a little extra weight like I happen to be. So, but I think for me is that when I got sick, Johnny, it was... You know, now here's a purpose. Like, if, if I can put pen to paper and maybe help inspire one person out there that's in the battle or help prevent them from uh, being proactive and raising their hand and saying, hey, you know, I don't feel good, or maybe I need to get checked out for a colonoscopy, um, then it was well worth the initiative of me writing a book and putting a pen to paper for 16 months. So that was pretty much the the final straw is that when I got sick, I thought, you know what, if I can pull through this thing, because I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I had six months of chemo scheduled, and then I was going to be reassessed from there. And, and that for me was like, okay, well, if I can help one person and bring hope to them uh, or at least inspire them in some fashion it doesn't have to be cancer it can be anything then it was well worth the uh, you know the effort to put the book together so it really kind of came together in August of uh, probably more in September of 2017 yeah, the book just came out in October selling well here in Chicago yeah, right it's doing very well it's doing doing really well all over all over uh, the US and and even in Canada where I played almost half my career with the Maple Leafs and with the Winnipeg Jets uh, uh, it was the number one book on Amazon, hockey book, uh, for almost five weeks. Uh, and we're the number four cancer book on Amazon. Uh, so, like I said, it's it's a life story. Uh, I share a lot of hockey stories, a lot of horse racing stories. But also, I mean, the heart of it and kind of ties it all together was my battle with stage three colon cancer. And, you know, you can go to any bookstore and order it. And, uh, uh, you know, in the world we live now, they just, you know, you just order it and you get a drone dropping it in your in, right in your front doorstep if you want it that bad. Uh, but I'm very proud in the reception that it's gotten. And uh, uh, look, it's going to be around forever. And as some of my former friends and my former teammates have asked, are there crayons with this book? <laughs> and uh, all of them, as I said, former friends and former teammates, uh, no, there are not any crayons with this book. There are a lot of pictures, uh, but no crayons needed with the Eddie Olchek book. Eddie, um, obviously, I'm sure it was a tough battle. Yeah. Um, was it in a way good for you to, to relive it and put it into words? what you went through and how you fought it and yeah. beat it? 
I think the way to answer that, Johnny, would be is uh, there's two two ways. One is is that when I was going through my battle, I was very much at peace. Um, the most important people in my life, my wife of 31 years and our and our four kids, and you know everybody has a circle, everybody has a story, but I've always let those most the most important people in my life know how I felt about them, because I always said it would it would kill me <laughs> if I wasn't around that I didn't express to you how much you felt, how much you meant to me and how much you've made my life complete. And they've all had, they all had the same responses. I don't talk like that. Nothing's going to happen, but you know, we're all day to day in the big picture. So when I was going through my battle, the most important people in my life knew how much I loved them and, and how much they meant to me. And that helped me get through. Um, I was very much at peace because I didn't know what was going to happen at the end of the six months. And if they told me, Johnny, hey, look, Edzo, uh, you know, you've had 51 years in this on this earth and you've accomplished a lot of things and you've made an impact and it's time it's time for you to go on to your next chapter. Then, OK, I, I was I was OK with that. Yeah, I was scared and I didn't want to die. I mean, that's that's for sure. So for me, that kind of helped me get through and. And the other thing it did was is going through my chemo treatments and something we talk about in depth in the book was is when I was going through my chemo, it broke me down. Uh, it brought me to my knees. My second treatment, uh, my side effects of, of nosebleeds and vomiting and, and headaches and just going to the bathroom and having no control over anything that I, as far as my bowel movements, I just, I said to my wife, I quit. I'm done. I, I can't live like this. I, I I don't know how am I going to get through today, let alone get through five more months of this and not know what's on the other end. And uh, and I had never quit anything in my life, um, whether it was playing hockey, coaching, being at the racetrack and being down $25. Okay, hold on a second. Being <laughs> down $2,500, I, was, I wasn't going to quit. And my wife, Diana, grabbed me and she looked at me and she said, you got to fight. You got to fight for me. You got to fight for our kids, and you got to fight for all the people that love you. And I've had a lot of inspirational talks in my life in a locker room, but I'd have to say at that time in my life, Johnny, that was probably the greatest speech that I ever heard because I needed that because I was drifting drifting into oblivion. Uh, I had enough quiet time to last me a lifetime, and I was down. I was scared. I was hurt. The chemo was breaking me down, and uh, my wife, she, she picked me back up. And I put my helmet back on, and I got my hockey mentality back and just was like, okay, it's one day at a time. I'm going to grind. I'm going to start setting goals for myself, and I'm going to chip away. And uh, Because when, you, when you're sick, you feel like you let everybody down. Uh, you feel like you let your family down. Uh, when I had to tell my kids that I was sick, Johnny, it was probably the hardest thing I ever had to do because, as you know, with being a dad, the last thing you ever want to do is hurt your kids or, or, or see them hurt. Uh, and feel like you're letting them down. So to tell my kids that uh, was really difficult because they all wanted to stop what they were doing and they wanted to stay and and help me. And I said, no, you guys have to go on and live. And uh, so there's just so many range of emotions. But for me, it, it was it was hard, uh, and I wanted to fight. And 
you know the roller coaster of of, of those emotions just you know, they kind of take you all over the tracks and I had incredible doctor support my family my friends the NHL and I and, I, and the Blackhawks obviously but you know coming back and working my first game while I was sick uh, in St. Louis when the Blues were so gracious and put me up on the jumbotron and recognized me and welcomed me back from you know from during my cancer battle and and uh, was I uh, was very touched uh, as I said after her it's the first time I ever was cheered in St. Louis I know that maybe the first Blackhawk ever cheered yeah well may, maybe but uh, that just shows the class of of uh, of the St. Louis Blues uh, you know organization and be forever grateful to the ownership group and Army and and, uh, and Mikey Caruso for making that happen it just made me feel really good and know there were a lot of people in my corner a lot of people I knew and a lot of people I didn't know and getting texts from you and Curbs and Panger uh, it, it it really meant a lot and uh, I couldn't have done it by myself and uh, one thing I did I did prove to myself Johnny was is I'm way tougher than I ever thought I was going through that because like I said cancer tests your will to live and uh, I was very very lucky and proud to say I'm cancer free and, and looking forward to hopefully another uh, another 50 years on this earth absolutely again the book is Beating the Odds in Hockey and in Life the story basically of Eddie Olchek a couple more quick ones yeah, for sure. you Eddie before we go um, I know that you are so busy doing the Blackhawk games NBC you do the horse racing uh, you're writing books now if you had one more day to do what you wanted to do what would it be wow i i think i would like to have the opportunity to to have one more shift there you go in the nhl yeah i'd like to go take a face off <laughs> and i'd probably get the hell off the ice because <laughs> that's as, probably as far as i could get but i mean once you're a player you're always a player um you know, it, hockey has brought me everything in my life. I mean, it, it really has. And uh, it's, as you know, Johnny, it's the greatest game in the world. It's in your family's blood forever. Uh, it's in my blood. And there's so many, so many great people. And, you know, I, I miss the guys. I miss the trainers. Uh, I say in the book that uh, the easiest way to get on the wrong side of Eddie Olchek is to disrespect a trainer a medical staff, the equipment manager. Uh, the trainers are a lifeline of a hockey player. And, you know, I miss seeing those guys and sitting in the room with them. And uh, But, yeah, I, I would like to go out there and take one, one more shift. And I'm sure somewhere deep down in my body, I'm sure I think that I could still go out there, win a face-off, go stand in front of the net where not a lot of guys go and stand. I don't know why now. It's a lot easier now than in our era. Um, but uh, I always think about what it would like to go ahead and score one more goal in the NHL. Yeah, I'm sure it would be fun. Finally, of course, you covered uh, the Stanley Cup yeah. playoffs last year, yeah. saw the Blues win their first Cup. Um, w- were you as surprised as anyone that this team came from where they came to win the championship? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm surprised at, at where they were in early January. I'm not surprised they won because I thought I, I thought they were second or third place in the division to begin with. They were, they were too good of a team not to be in the playoffs. And then they got on the run, uh, and they got look at the, the the timing of Jordan Bennington and Chief coming in, Craig Berube, and them them finding their stride. I mean, it was the perfect storm. I mean, it really was. And um, but I'm not surprised at all that they won. And the one thing I think that separated the Blues from even today, and you look at the move with Army bringing in a guy like Justin Falk and adding depth to their back end, is that. 
the Blues back end to me was the key and is the key to their team's success. Take goaltending out of it because we know if you're not going to get a save, you're not going to win. We understand that. But their ability to be able to defend, their ability to be able to skate themselves out of trouble because they have a mobile defense for the most part, and they can jump into the rush. And when you have that on your back end, uh, you're going to be in a lot of hockey games. And uh, so to see how they did it was absolutely incredible. And I can't wait, Johnny, until the first team or the first organization or the first fan base in early January sits there and goes, well, the Blues did it last year. Right. We're going to do it this year. Look at That is not the plan. Like, that is not how you draw it up. Army's a smart guy, but I don't think he drew it up that way. And I do have to say, uh, Army, like I said, Army contacted me a lot during my illness. I'll be forever grateful for that. But for him not to have pulled the plug at some point, when the Blues were really struggling last year. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible that he didn't, you know, make a move. And who knows what happens if you make one of those moves and you pull one of those pillars out, you know, really what happens. So uh, it was great to be there. Uh, especially to see what took place. And that was, I mean, that was a great series, right? I mean, Johnny, you were there. I mean, it was an awesome series to be a part of. And, uh, uh, you know, being a Chicago guy, yeah, I, I even was pretty happy for the Blues and the St. Louis Blues fans uh, because it always, when it comes down to Blues and Blackhawks, it always seems to go back to Cubs and Cardinals. It always seems to go back there. So, uh, but it was it was great to see. And, then, and look, they, they deserved it. And the right team won last year. Well said. Eddie, good luck with the book. Again, it's called Beating the odds in hockey and in life. Eddie Olchek, always great to see you and uh, continued good luck and continued good health. Thanks, Johnny. Great to be with you. All right, that's Eddie Olchek. Much more coming up next on 101 ESPN. And welcome back to Behind the Bench here on 101 ESPN. I'm John Kelly, and tonight's show, of course, is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Visit a showroom in Crestwood, Manchester, or St. Peter's or online at Boardwalk Hardwick, hardwoodrather.com. Our guest here in the final segment is the head equipment manager of the St. Louis Blues, Joel Farnsworth. He has been the head equipment manager for three years and been with the club for 10 years overall. And uh, like everybody else, I'm sure you're still basking in the glow of a Stanley Cup, Joel. Absolutely. It's uh, been an incredible run. Uh, just getting to the finals last year was a really neat experience in and of itself. And then winning, it's obviously uh, it's what everybody puts in all the time and the effort for. And, it's pretty fun going into cities and seeing our counterparts in different cities and guys you haven't seen since last season walking up, giving you the pat on the back. Congratulations. Uh, I'm sure you have the same experience with other broadcasters as well, John. It's it, it's neat. It's uh, We're a pretty tight-knit fraternity, all of us who are lucky enough to work in the NHL. and We all have the same jobs to do, whether you're winning the Stanley Cup or finishing in last place. We all have the same jobs to do on a day-to-day -day basis. and. Everyone knows how hard it is and how many hours we all put in. And it's neat to see a little recognition, a little pat on the back from your peers and uh, know that they appreciate how hard you worked. And it's really neat to just the entire experience has been incredible. Yeah, no question. We know how hard you guys work in the equipment uh, department. Uh, the team gets into a city at 2 in the morning, and you guys got to go to the rink and set the room up and things like that. But, Joel, tell us a little bit about your story, because I think every equipment guy or trainer or player or broadcaster or coach, they have a story about how they got to the NHL. What is your story? And I know you've been with the Blues for 10 years. Yeah, yeah getting to the NHL uh, – 
started by spending seven years in the American League uh, with the Blues. I, I was in Peoria, Illinois with the Rivermen for four years. I was in Worcester uh, with the Worcester Ice Cats for three years before that. I was with the Rangers organization for a year before that with the Hartford Wolfpack. Um, I did seven years of college hockey as well um, at the University of Vermont, both as a student and as a full-time equipment guy. Um, I was really fortunate. My first day, my freshman year of college, my neighbor in the dorms was a hockey player on the team. And I was a hockey fan. I grew up being a fan and being from rural northern Vermont, there's not a whole lot else to do in the winter besides cheer on our uh, local hockey team. So uh, I was a fan growing up. And I was fortunate enough to become really good friends with my neighbor, uh, who eventually became captain of the team. He got me involved working with the team, which led to work in some training camps for the New York Rangers. And one thing led to another. And, would that be 23 years later? Here we sit. So uh, it's been a really amazing ride. I, I never did I think I'd end up working in the NHL, particularly as an equipment guy. As a kid, it wasn't necessarily my dream. But once I got involved in working day to day, working hockey, I realized it was where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And Thankfully, you work hard enough, you put in the time, you ride the buses, and you uh, get rewarded by getting promoted to the NHL. And I, I spent seven years as an assistant working with Burt Coden. Um, I learned a lot working with him. And, you know, three years ago, I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to be the head guy here in St. Louis. And we were fortunate enough last June to win. So it's been a, it's been a really interesting, long, winding road, but it's... Uh, it's pretty rewarding. Joel, do you remember the, the, the call you got telling you that you're coming to the NHL the first time and, and your, your thoughts in your first game? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, the first time I worked some games in the NHL, uh, Bert's mom had passed away. Uh, and I, we were in Grand Rapids, Michigan, getting ready to play. So I got a unique experience as a staff guy. Typically, we kind of get promoted at the end of the year or there's changes that take place in the organization. I was fortunate enough to get called up in season. We were in Grand Rapids playing, starting a nine-game, 12-day road trip in the American League. And Larry Plo was the GM at the time. He called me and said, uh, Bert's had a death in his family. Uh, one of the other guys at the time was injured and was unable to travel. And he said, uh, you're coming up. So uh, Rich Jankowski's going to be calling in a few minutes with a flight for you to get you from Grand Rapids to Peoria. Grab your truck. We got a game tonight. I said, okay. And away I went. It was a whirlwind, <laughs> whirlwind trip for sure. Um, got to work six or seven games that year before I went back down to Peoria to finish the year. And then... The next season, they decided to make some changes and brought uh, myself and Mike Hannigan, who was our athletic trainer down in Peoria. We both got promoted at the same time that year in 2009. And I remember I was driving to pick up my wife, actually. Uh, we are going to go to lunch and got the phone call as I pulled in the parking lot of where she worked to uh, pick her up. I got the phone call from Larry. And kind of weird time of year to be getting a phone call from Larry. And I was like... I better answer this and answered it and he said hey congratulations you're uh, you're moving up to st louis we uh you know development camps july 1st and we need you here by then so it's pretty exciting it was a whirlwind for sure at the time my wife was pregnant and we were getting ready to have our first child and it was a, it was a pretty neat experience but uh 
yeah, the phone call is a pretty memorable thing. I've been a part of a few of them for players. It's pretty neat getting it yourself. Yeah, I'm sure. Again, we're talking with Joel Farnsworth, the head equipment manager of the St. Louis Blues, now in his 10th year with the hockey club. And Joel, I think a lot of fans might be curious. You know, they come to the games or they watch on TV and they see the players with the equipment. Just generally, what is it? What does it cost to outfit a, a player for a game? Ooh, per game, uh, well, let's see, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about $4,000 worth of gear head to toe for a player. Um, pretty much is kind of a, most of that's reusable for multiple games. Uh, sticks, obviously, uh, we go through a lot of sticks. Uh, most guys use a new stick every game. Some guys use two or three. Um, and goalies are... Goalies are about $8,000 outfit. Um, so when you see a guy with all brand new gear and a new mask for a special game or we wear a special jersey, something like that, it's about $8,000 to get him all geared up for that head to toe. But it, to make everybody look good and to fit the look that we're looking for, like the retro jerseys that we wore a couple weeks ago, um, you know, it, it really meant a lot to Benner to have a little tribute to Cujo. and. And I think the fans really liked the way it all looked. It came came together great, and you know it's certainly well worth uh, the expense just to make everybody look the way they're supposed to look and make it make it look like the NHL. We're supposed to be the best league in the world. We are the best league, and it, it's cool to be able to make them look the part as well. Absolutely. So, Joel, a uh, typical player, not counting a goalie, because they're not typical, as no. we know. I work with one on Fox, as you know. Yes. Um, but, what, you know, how many sticks would he go through in a year, and how many, say, pairs of skates? Uh, typical player is going to go through about six pairs of skates. Um, we got a few guys that might go through 10 or 12. Um, but typically six pairs is a pretty safe number. Um, and then about a stick a game. So most guys are about 80 to 100 sticks per season. Um, and it, it all adds up. There's no doubt about that. And keeping it straight and keeping inventories and that kind of stuff is a major part of the day-to-day -day for us. But... It's pretty rewarding when a guy goes out and scores a goal or you know, how we get a big team win. and it, it, You know you're a little piece of that, but it's, it's neat to be able to support the boys and get them out there and get them what they're looking for and keep them, keep them happy with all their pieces that they want to use. So, Joel, I know you spend a lot of hours at the rink um, on airplanes like we all do on buses. What is the best part of your job and what is the most challenging part of your job as head equipment manager? Ooh, the, the best part, no question about it, is the feeling of winning. And whether it's a regular season win in October that everybody's just kind of ho-hum about or winning a game in June, it's there's no replacing that feeling. The, the, there's, there's a group of 50 of us or so, as you said, that travel together, we eat together, we pretty much live together, we're together more than our, we're with our families for six or seven months out of the year. And the bond and the, that we all form and being victorious together is such an incredible feeling. So undoubtedly the best part of the job is the victory, the smile on everybody's face and the, the feeling of satisfaction of a job well done for the entire group. Uh, the most challenging part, for sure, it's changed over the years. The, the hours are a challenge, for sure, and we, we all work a lot of hours and spend a lot of hours away from home. But uh, 
the manufacturers have made the job more challenging for sure just as most everything that we deal with day to day in life has changed uh, most things are made overseas now amazingly enough um, 10 years ago you would have never worried about the Chinese New Year coming into effect for the National Hockey League schedule but now we have to order things and stay on top of inventory because of different holidays and shipping delays and those kinds of things worldwide it's uh so maintaining inventory and maintaining product that the players want to use is without question the most challenging part because guys are guys are very particular it, it, the the most common comparison that you have is a carpenter and his hammer right it, it's their tool and they know what they want their hammer to feel like in their hand well their their skates and their sticks are an extension of them and they're their tools and they need to be exactly what they want and getting those pieces in their hands the way they want them is definitely a challenge some days and because of the international shipping and the delays and the time zones there, there are a lot of a lot of issues with maintaining inventory with the manufacturers that's probably the single biggest headache of the job but when you get the right thing in the guy's hands and he's happy and he scores a big goal and pretty rewarding not just for me but for our entire staff and the entire team obviously benefits from us getting our job done in an appropriate time frame so but it's definitely a challenge and the, the more things that go overseas for production the more difficult that job becomes and it, it, there's a definite delay getting things you know it used to be get a pair of gloves in a day and that's just not the way of the world anymore. And it's okay. You just have to plan ahead accordingly. Again, we're talking to Joel Farnsworth, the head equipment manager of the St. Louis Blues. And Joel, we have to talk about the Stanley Cup and in particular Game 7 because I know that some of the items from that game have ended up in the Hall of Fame because we were there a few months ago. Uh, Petrangelo's stick, I understand Bennington's long underwear, which ironically enough was from his days with the Providence Bruins, is in the Hall of Fame. So going into Game 7, what was your mindset and what actually did end up not just with the Hall of Fame, but maybe with the Blues that that the organization can have forever as a as a keepsake and a reminder of Game Seven and Stanley Cup. Well, to be honest, going into Game Seven, I really wasn't worrying about. I had an idea in the back of my mind of some things that we needed to keep an eye on, but obviously we were all focused on the game. But knowing for sure that. Whenever there's a big victory, you see everybody celebrate and sticks are flying and gloves are flying, helmets are flying. And thankfully, Rich Matthews, who works with me on our equipment staff, uh, has a lot of experience in the finals. And he kind of pulled me aside today at Game 7 and said, I know you don't want to worry about any of this stuff, but we need to have a plan. So we put a plan together to make sure we didn't lose anything. Um, that's the biggest thing is you don't want something to disappear that's of historical value to the team, to the Hall of Fame, and to the player themselves for that matter. They're, they're certainly not going to be worried about it at the moment, but a month later they're going to be looking for something. And so we had a plan in place. We knew... Uh, the other really neat thing that we did throughout the playoffs last year is we got a got the game puck from each victory, um, each of the 16 victories that led us to the cup. And that was the one thing I knew if we won, it was going to be difficult to get. A lot of times in game sevens, the celebration happens and the puck's just kind of lost forever. And 
I knew from experience some of the guys around the league had not been able to get it. So I wanted to make sure we tried to get that uh, to fill out the, the infamous puck board that everybody's probably seen a picture of now. Uh, we really needed that. So that was one item I was keen on. And the other big thing is uh, Jordan's mask and gloves. You knew those were going to – those are items of historical value to both him and the team and to the Hall of Fame for that matter. And those if anybody was watching real closely if there if you saw the video the team's celebrating and everybody's going crazy and I made a beeline out onto the ice and grabbed his gloves and mask and grabbed those and brought them back and put them in the locker room got those secured and then went back out and joined in the celebration uh, I didn't want those to disappear those were uh he's the first guy to ever get 16 wins as a rookie it's an incredible story and I didn't want those to come up missing so finally, where is the stick that Petrangelo actually scored the winning goal with late in the first period and the puck that was on the ice when the game ended, you know? Yep. The, so Petro actually broke that stick uh, middle of the second period. And again, Richie, having been through this a few times, said, yeah, we better keep this one. We put a little mark very inconspicuously on the stick, but we marked it, set it aside stash that one away just if it was the game winner we wanted to make sure we had it um so it's now residing in the hall of fame um and then the puck as soon as the game ended the puck kind of got shuffled into the corner and uh rich volani who's a good friend and an employee of the national hockey league knew knew our story had been through the playoffs with us sort of a league rep and he made sure to get it and get it to me and uh, he actually got us two pucks. He got us a game, game used puck, and he got us another puck. We were the other thing was we gave Tom Stillman a puck from every game that we won throughout the playoffs, and we were able to give him a puck from Game Seven as well out on the ice after this during the celebration. And it was pretty cool getting to shake his hand and say, "Here's the puck from the win." So, um, but that puck's actually the game puck itself is encased. Uh, with all the other 60 wins of the year. So we ended up with 60 wins last year. So we had all the regular season wins and the 16 playoff wins. It's all on a big board that's uh, hopefully going to end up being displayed on the concourse at uh, Enterprise Center here really soon. Uh, we've had some issues uh, making sure it was secure so nothing would uh, disappear. But it's, uh, it's in the final touches here. Final phase is getting finished up so that hopefully all the fans can see it here real soon. Great stuff. Interesting stuff. Joel, thank you for the time. Um, continued uh, good luck. Uh, you do a great job, and we appreciate your time tonight. Well, I appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me on. Okay, that's Joel Farnsworth, head equipment manager of the Blues. Also, thanks to Eddie Olchek for his time, and, of course, the head coach, Craig Bruby. That's another edition of Behind the Bench. I'm John Kelly. Have a great night, everyone.